We do have Chris Johnson, our TSN Hockey Insider, on the line right now. CJ, how's it going this morning? I'd imagine things are buzzing. Yeah, it was a bit of an eventful morning down here at the skate, but uh, nowhere I'd rather be than with you guys for lunch on a Friday. Aw, we feel the same way, and not just because you have the inside intel uh, maybe on, on what's going on with Austin Matthews. Walk us through uh, last night, this morning, and what Sheldon Keefe has had to say, and, and just uh, what you've taken away from, from this news that we've gotten, that Austin Matthews will miss the next three weeks with a knee sprain. Yeah, it was described to me as a fluky play in Wednesday's game where he got injured, which I think... You know, maybe why there, there weren't more alarm bells sooner because, you know, obviously it wasn't as though he took a, a massive hit that we all saw. I mean, he was, he was on the ice to celebrate after uh, Marner's overtime winning goal. And, and, you know, it was only last night that, that Darren Dreger and I kind of caught wind that something might be up. But, um, you know, confirmed this morning, of course, that uh, guy has got an E issue. Um, you know, I, I think that there, there's a couple things here for me. I mean, it, it could be a little bit of a blessing in disguise given where we're at in the schedule with, you know, the Leafs. Due to, to have a pretty lengthy break for the All Star weekend and then their bye week, um, and you know, given some of the things that Austin Matthews already dealt with this season, you know, this is not a, this is a new issue, a new injury. It's not related to you know some of the things that have kept him out of a couple games earlier in the year, but it does obviously offer a pretty extensive window here for him to rehab and and rest up and and you know get back in the lineup. And ultimately, he might miss something like five or six or seven games, depending on how he reacts to that rehab. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the schedule here, and, and that three-week timeline, they've got six games, five of which at home, uh, and five of which against non, uh, four of which against non-playoff teams. So the schedule is a little soft right now. So yes, it's a decent timeline, but that's only if he misses the three weeks. And the term minimum was used there. Is that at all concerning that this could be a little bit longer than three weeks? It, as it was described to me, this is a minor thing. So you know, I. I don't expect this to turn, you know, minimum three weeks to turn into six weeks or anything like that. I mean, I, I suppose nobody's got a crystal ball in terms of, you know, how Austin will react to treatment and, and, you know, where he'll be at conditioning wise when he's, you know, able to skate again and all those types of things. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't sense that there's a lot of alarm here other than the fact, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, a significant player from the Leafs lineup that's, that's going to be unavailable for the next little stretch. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see any huge, reason for concern. And let's face it. I mean, this is not a season the way it's gone for Austin Matthews where, you know, we're, we're charting, um, you know, individual trophies or anything like that. I mean, I think everyone knows that this is all about, um, you know, getting, getting the job done in the playoffs. And so perhaps a little rest won't be the worst thing. You know, Gabriel Landeskog, for example, missed the, missed this big stretch of time last season for the Colorado Avalanche, but was fresh in the playoffs and, you know, they, they got over the hump. And so I, I think that, um, well, you don't want anyone to miss games, you know, in this case, because it, it doesn't sound like it's serious. Uh, this, this could end up being one of those, those, one of those things that, that maybe we look back on as, as a positive in the season that he got this rest now. Well, it's interesting, though, because you take a look at what the lineup, the projected lineup is going to be tonight. Tavares has 1C, Pontus Holmberg sliding in at, at 2C. Like, when you take one of those two guys out of the lineup, it, it, it does look a lot more thin down the middle. We've been talking a lot about how the Leafs should go out and, and acquire a top six winger to round out this team. But, I mean, when you look at it, maybe a centerman, could that be in the cards at the deadline to build a little bit more depth down the middle? Yeah, I think you go and get the best forward you can, whether he is a, a winger or center. I don't, I don't know that you have to be positionally locked in. You know, we're, we're talking about the reigning Hart Trophy winner, so no team is going to look good when you – lose a player of that caliber with just the nature of the cap. Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of one, one of his own 
Uh, there's not there's not a pure replacement out there. But I think you know whether this injury had happened or not, you know there was going to be focus for the Leafs in trying to you know get another player that can play somewhere near the top of their forward group. Um, it remains to be seen if they can get that done. I think they'd look for an improvement on the blue line as well, and they're dealing with a you know pretty small sliver of cap space at this point in time to get those kind of trades done. But you know I I would think that when all is said and done and it's March fourth and we're looking back on the trade deadline that was, I, I would be surprised if, if we didn't see the Leafs add a somewhat impactful forward uh, between then and now. So if they're going to add, something has to go the other way, and, and Pontus Helmberg is skating as the second centerman uh, at, at morning skate today over Kerfoot, and I've kind of had Kerfoot circled. He's always been Sheldon Keefe's Swiss Army Knife guy, but you've kind of seen his uh, his usage diminish o- over the past few weeks. Uh, and his his role kind of become more and more limited. Does, are you reading into that at all as as writing on the wall? I, I wouldn't quite go that far, and I'll, I'll be you know direct. I, I haven't heard his name specifically in any tangible trade rumors from other teams, but you know I, I do think that it's it's fair to to sort of align those those two things and wonder if the Leafs have to you know be be creating a little more cap space. That one way they might do that is is you know trade someone like Alex Kerfoot. Now, I don't know if they'll be able to get that done. It's still a, a league where a lot of teams don't have a ton of cap room. You know, he is on expiring deal, so that, that should make things a little bit cleaner, neater, easier if if, if they go that, that route. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that we can rule too much out definitively, um, you know, at this stage, just because it's, it's an important deadline for the Leafs. And, you know, we haven't seen them in past deadlines. They've mostly just been adding. They haven't been subtracting, but... You know, I look at what, what Tampa did last year. They traded Matthew Joseph away as part of the deal to get Nick Ball. Um, you know, it, it could be that ultimately we look at, at, you know, what the Leafs have to do is subtract a little from the roster in order, order to get some, some improvement. Well, we did see a trade go down the other night between Colorado and San Jose. Does that mean that chatter finally starting to pick up around the league, CJ? I think it is a little bit. Um, you know, a number of teams have had pro scouting meetings this week or, or in, in the last week or so. And, you know, that's really the, the, the last time when, when you get all your scouts together, you, you sort of go over the players available, the intel that, that's out there about what might happen, what the needs are, and, and set, set a course. And then obviously the, the GM or the AGM go out and really start working the phone with the, that plan in place. So, you know, I think that there's a little bit of action, but, you know, the truth of the matter is with the cap um, crunch, you know, I, I think a lot of the movement will happen in and around March 3rd uh, because every every day – further in the schedule is a little bit easier to accommodate new cap hits for these teams. CJ, you mentioned on Insider Trading this week, potentially a Connor Timmons extension in the works. Any idea what that might look like? I, I don't have terms for you. I, I just know that there's been some conversations there and some interest from the Leafs end. And you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. Connor Timmons hasn't, um, you know, he's a restricted free agent. So if it doesn't end up happening now, it doesn't, it doesn't pretend bad things but by any stretch, but, you know, he hasn't established himself, you know, in his prior NHL stops. I think it's been a nice tour of duty for him so far in Toronto. He's been quite productive. Obviously, some ups and downs. I think he's still finding his way in the league to a certain extent. Um, but I don't think it's hard to imagine, you know, a 24-year-old, you know, with his physical profile, his, his skill set, the way he can move the puck, you know, you know, that growing into, over time, a larger role with the team. And, and I think if they can get some cost certainty, and get him locked in at a good number, you know, he might appreciate the security and, and obviously that will give the Leafs some clarity because, you know, if you look ahead to future years and I know we're 
were really dialed into this one. I mean, they don't they don't have very many players signed, and so yeah. you know that's that's a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because it does leave a lot of room uh, to reimagine things if, if you want to go that route. But you know, someone like Connor Timmins, I just think it would give them a little bit of certainty. You know, this is a summer where Justin Hall, for example, another right hand shot on the team is due to be a free agent. I mean, maybe you're looking at someone who could you know ultimately grow into and replace the minutes Hall has. You know, something along those lines. So. You know, we'll see how talks go, but uh, you know, the fact that there, there's interest there, I, I just thought was interesting. We're chatting with Chris Johnson, or TSN Hockey Insider. Um, quick question for you, CJ. Who would you feel more comfortable with, Callie Yarmkrock in the top six or Mark Giordano on the top four come playoff time? Good question. Look at this. Thank you. Thank you. Very mm. <laughs> I, I'm inclined to go with Giordano. Um the, the obvious is the obvious, right? He's the oldest skater in the league, and, and age, you know, can can be difficult on on players when when you're asking them to log a lot of minutes. But you know that stretch we saw of him when the Leafs were really banged up on the blue line, I think it was twelve or thirteen games in a row. He played you know twenty minutes plus, and and really was a top performer. I think the you know we've learned the way he's kept himself in shape, and that he's just such a battler. I, I'd probably more be more comfortable going into a big game with him in the top four. Um, and then Yarncroft in the top six. Now that's that's not a knock on Yarncroft. I just think that you know the Leafs should be setting their sights a little bit higher. Um, you know, obviously injuries and things happen. Maybe maybe we're going to get both at some point, and I think it's certainly possible. But um, you know, if if they could you know have someone like Yarncroft playing on, uh, in the bottom six, I think they're just a deeper team. Um, you know, the Leafs haven't got a ton of offense from the bottom half of their lineup this season. I think they've been really good defensively there, uh, and obviously they have high end players, but. You know, if they could find just a little bit more balance heading into the playoffs, I think that that would set them up for, for success. Yeah, and, and I think that, too, I think there's a nucleus there on the back end that, that could work if Geo can play those top four minutes. I think uh, him and Lilligren are starting to really, you know, they're they're a nice, formidable duo. We saw what they could do a year ago, and Lilligren's taken a step, too. Like, in my mind, I'm looking at the playoffs, and if you have a six-man unit out on defense of, you know, uh, Riley, Brody, and then you've got Geo, Lilligren, and then Sandy and Hall. That's a pretty decent top six that you've got there, and that means that you can put your assets and, and the limited cap space up front and try to attack that top six. Right. I mean, there's sort of trade-offs in whatever you do, and, and I think, like, I understand why there's focus on trying to make a team perfect, but I think we have to remember there isn't perfect. I mean, you go back and look at the, the Penguins team that, that won the Stanley Cup the year Chris Letang was injured, I mean, they had a fairly no nameish blue line, you know, it was Ron Hainsey at the time, Trevor Daly, Brian Dumoulin, uh, Justin Schultz, and and you know they got it done without what we would call a you know a traditional stud defenseman in, in the likeness of say Kale McCarr or Victor Hedman, you know guys that have helped, you know played big roles in their teams winning cups in recent years. But I think there there you can get it done by committee when you have something special on the other end, and and that's you know the Leafs can roll out a pretty impressive group of offensive talent, um, you know. Maybe not unmatched in the league, but but there's not too many teams that that we would put head to head with the least forward group. And if they can find a way to get even stronger there, I, you know, I, that there's there's an argument, at least in my mind, to go with that. And um, you know, they're, they're sort of missing, I guess, a big physical defenseman in in, in some regards and in, in respects. I, mean, I know Jordy Ben's sort of a depth guy around this this lineup, but um, you know, I, I'm of the, the school of thought that if they're playing offense, you know, that's that could be the best defense and. You no, know, it's been really nice to see Lily Grin's progression because there was 
a lot of people wondering at, at prior tra- trade deadlines, is he someone you move? You know, he's yeah. a prospect that maybe hasn't panned out, all this and that. Well, you know, look look what's happened with time here. You know, he's, he's developed into a pretty important piece for the organization both this year and, and I think as we look ahead, you know, in the not-too-distant future, there's there's maybe a world without T.J. Brody on this back end. Uh, obviously, Mark Giordano's at the end of his career. As I mentioned, Justin Hall's on an expiring deal. I mean, they're going to they're gonna need uh, some internal replacements, and I could definitely see Lilligren becoming almost a core member of the team over time with, with the way his progression's gone. Yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed with, uh, with, with what he's been able to bring to the team. Um, I saw you were talking about Ivan Barbashev drawing some trade interest and mentioned a few contenders would be in on him. I'm curious if you think the Leafs might be one of those teams. Uh, MJ was on first up yesterday talking about how he might be a perfect trade target for the Leafs as one of those you know middle six type of wingers who's on a, a, a relatively cheap deal. Oh, yeah, nobody else brought it up the day before. A.B. brought it up the day before. We, we have to let the oh. record show that. So that, that is his ulterior motive. Barbashev, I brought up Bushnevich, the other St. Louis oh, Blues you're right, winger. You're right. I, yeah, I brought up Bushnevich, which I was trying to have your back there, A.B. Too. I know, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I haven't heard the Leafs specifically attached to him. I know a few other top teams have had discussions with the Blues about what a deal might look like, what a fit could be. Um, but I, I, I'll buy it, honestly. I mean, that, that you could make a case for it. I mean, the, the, the big thing with him is his cap hits only $2.25 million on an expiring deal. And so, you know, that's, that's a contract that, you know, would, I think has some appeal for teams in, in you know, a tight cap situation, which obviously most of the, the contenders in the league are, are in that camp. And so, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks for the, for the Blues. I mean, they're, they're not formally putting up the white flag just yet, but, you know, they lost again last night in Arizona. I believe it was Buffalo and Chicago that beat them in games earlier earlier in the week. And, you know, they've got eight unrestricted free agents on their roster. And, you know, we, we've focused a lot on Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko. But, you know, they, they have a number of players, even a, a role player like Noel Achari, who I think, uh, you know, is likely to find a new home if they decide to, to become big sellers. And, and, you know, in some ways, if, if the losing continues and they decide to, to act first, I mean, they, they might almost be market setters in some ways. Uh, that's Chris Johnson, our TSN Hockey Insider. Uh, a, a re-up happened yesterday out in Vancouver, CJ, while we were on the air, and we were both kind of befuddled by it, but the Vancouver Canucks opted to re-up on Kuzmenko. We knew that Bo Horvat was going to be on the move, but to you, does this just confirm that? Does it tell you anything else about the Canucks and their plan? Well, I mean, the, the official word out of the Canucks is that it doesn't 100% guarantee that Bo Horvat's on the move, but I think... You know, we right. can surmise, you know, where things are at there. I mean, Jim Rutherford was pretty direct on the Horvat question when he had that press conference, you know, 10 days ago or whatever that was, you know, that they're, they're sort of in a pickle that, you know, they, they were trying to get him on, on what his value would have been based on his, his production to this point in his career. And then he's gone and had a career year. You know, I believe he's one goal away from setting his new career best already with, with a lot of runway left in the season. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure now on, on maximizing what you can out of the Horvat. Um, you know, the, the, the asset. And, and, you know, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, obviously he's having a tremendous year. I'm certainly taking nothing away from the player right in the, the, the prime of his career. But, you know, it, there's only so many buyers in this market and only so many teams that are, you know, willing to, to maybe dig deep to, to make a trade. And, and so in some ways I think you could argue that Kuzmenko was as good of an asset for a trade it's Horvat, if only because, you know, he's, he's on an entry-level contract this season, and, and it's much easier for teams to accommodate that um, in, in their cap picture. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting times in Vancouver. 
it's if there's a positive to that contract, I'd say the fact that it's only two years, kind of a prove it deal yet again for Kuzmenko. I mean, obviously he gets a big raise at five and a half million, but you know if something goes wrong, it's not on the books for too long, and I think you're going to have a pretty motivated player to want to prove that this the start to his career is no fluke that you know he can be an impactful forward you know he's he's really good down low big guy that digs the puck off the walls and you know i think benefited from playing with elias Pettersson for much of the season production wise um but you know the canucks are under some heat at some point to trade someone they've, they've handed a lot of contracts out but they're in a cap bind and they haven't you know really done much to advance the program in the year since the new management staff's in place uh We'll stick out west uh, with the Canadian teams. And, and to quote, actually, my good friend Julia here, who asked me this earlier today, what the I'm hell worried. is wrong with the Calgary Flames? Oh. <laughs> I, was, I always worry when you quote me, but that one is is very quotable. What is yeah. wrong with them, CJ? I mean, another loss last night to, to the Chicago Blackhawks, and we know that they're in the Bedard Bowl, and, and this is a team that's fighting for a playoff spot, not what you want to see if you're a Flame fan or Daryl Sutter. No, and, and, you know, I've talked to a lot of people around this situation because it, it, it almost doesn't add up, does it? Um, the, the, it's definitely a team that I don't think at any point in time, I mean, they, they've played some good games. They, they won a big game last Saturday afternoon against Tampa um, in their building, a really hotly contested game. You know, it's not as though they haven't had good performances, but I don't think at any point they've truly been in sync and had a run uh, where you're like, okay, this is a team to contend with. And, and you know, as much as they, they had a crazy offseason and, you know, turned over some impact players at the top of the roster and, you know, brought in some new ones. I think that there is a window of time there where you expect an adjustment period for players like Jonathan Huberdeau and even Nazem Kadri, um, you know, to, to get comfortable and to find the right fits. It just, it just feels like something's off. And, and certainly, you know, I think that some players, it's fair to say, are chafing under Daryl Sutter. Um, not the first time that's happened, by the way. He won two Stanley Cups in Los Angeles with a team that at one point locked him out of the dressing room. Because <laughs> they were so tired of hearing from them, you know those Kings teams in the early 2010s. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's not it's not necessarily the, the be all and end all. If there's a bit of friction between the coaching staff and the players, I think that sometimes that's about pushing a group. But you know, it just it just doesn't seem to be clicking there. And and I think it creates an interesting scenario for Brad Treliving, who, by the way, is in, in the last year of his deal, much like Kyle Dubas is here in Toronto. And just you know, how do you approach the deadline? What do you do? Um, is this a group you should be doubling down on in terms of expending assets for expiring players or do you, do you end up punting? I mean, I don't think that's decided as we're having this conversation today, but it's something to keep an eye on in the next four and a half, five weeks leading into the trade deadline. Yeah, surprising stuff out in Calgary. Uh, unreal game last night between Boston and Tampa. Boston actually loses, which is rare and crazy these days. It which actually one crossed th- my mind to ask Sheldon Keefe today, like, were you surprised Boston lost last night? But it, I was worried he might take it the wrong way, so I didn't, I didn't pipe in with that one. Yeah, Sassy Sheldon was out on the loose today, so I don't even know if it was the day. But I, I feel like that would have been a good question with a with a peppy Sheldon mood. Um, which one of these teams, kind of around the Leafs on the murderers' row, that is the Eastern Conference, do you expect to be the most active around the trade deadline? Ooh. Well, boss, I don't. I don't expect it to be Boston. They're a team right now. I mean, they could okay. get a major. They could get a major injury between now and the deadline, which changes their cap picture, but. As of today, they're they're the sort of team. Whatever they bring in money wise, they have to ship out. And so, yeah. you know, I think that I think that they'll make a trade, but I'm not sure that they're in the position to make an impactful one. You know, Tampa's in much the same spot. Um, so, I, I guess there's there's a silver lining in, in the Eastern Conference. I mean, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens in Buffalo if if the Sabres stay hot. And, and you know, they've gotten right now to the fringes of the wild card position. They've got games in hand on Pittsburgh and Washington who are ahead of them, and they have a whack of cap space. I think that they can – someone told me they could literally trade for like half a team in terms of <laughs> add, adding the cap space onto their, onto their portfolio. And so if you know, they could be a dark horse, call it, that, that could make a big move, uh, especially I think if they you know, get into a playoff spot as, as we get closer to March 3rd and, and sort of compel Kevin Adams uh, to, to do something. You know, New Jersey is another sort of wild card for me. They, they've had – an unexpectedly strong season. They've, they've really hung around at the top of the division all year long. And, you know, they also have a bit of cap room to be able to, to, to take a big swing. I mean, the, the Rangers might be the other one I would highlight just because they own two first-round draft picks in this upcoming draft. And, you know, usually the contenders don't have that. And so I, I would argue they have one that they could probably spend in terms of going out and, and making a big deal. But, uh, you know, the, the truth is for the very top teams, you know, in this conference, very few of them have the, the, the cap space needed to, you know, make three huge moves at the deadline unless uh, something changes with, with injuries or LTI or whatever. Patty Kane to the Rangers, CJ? You know, you could sell me on it. We, we got to see. Like, the one thing in Chicago, it, it sounds like there's no decisions coming in any way, shape, or form until after the All-Star break from Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane about whether they'll waive a no-movement clause. You know, I, I could see a scenario where... You know, maybe they don't. Maybe maybe they don't want to move at the deadline, and then potentially have to move again in the summer as free agents. I mean, it's I don't I don't almost want to speculate on that because the decision ultimately rests with the two individuals, and I don't know what they're thinking. Um, other than you know, I think that they're wrestling with the idea of it a little bit. Uh, you know, some some parallels I suppose to what Claude Giroux went through last year in Philadelphia, where he had control of his situation and he ultimately did move, but then had to move again in the summer and, and signing with Ottawa after the trade to Florida. So. You know, it's it's it can be a tumultuous period. Um, you know, the Rangers or even the Devils. You know, Timu Meyer might make sense. Right. Uh, there's lots of there's lots of forwards out there, right? I mean, we have we have some at least names or semi names at this deadline. I just I don't know how it's all going to shake out with the cap ramifications and the like. It remains to be seen. My favorite Jonas Siegel line. Uh, it C- to be seen. CJ, just before we let you go, all Jonas Siegel. Yeah, he makes me laugh. We had him on yesterday. He's the best. Um, also happened revolving around that Tampa-Boston game last night. It was the first time that Pat Maroon and Jack Edwards saw one another after that whole hoopla earlier in the season. I, I was actually kind of impressed by Jack Edwards and the fact that he went down to the dressing room and, and had a chat with Pat Maroon, which is probably the only way to to kind of semi-rectify that situation. I, have you, You've covered the game for a long time. Have you ever had to go down, swallow the pride, and, and have a chat with the player about something that got reported wrong or something that was reported right but, but ruffled feathers? It's happened a couple times, yeah. Um, not as publicly as Jacks did. No. Um, because, you know, in this case, I saw Eric Erlinson, a reporter in Tampa, put out a photo of him oh, yeah. over at yeah. the locker. Play by play. Yeah, I mean, look, at, it's it's sort of public game. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I would have been doing that in his shoes, but I, I, I can't say he did anything wrong. But, um, you know, because the whole thing was public, right? I mean, Pat Maroon came yeah. back and donated money to charity. Yeah, and let's let's call it as it is. Like that was a ridiculous comment to make on the broadcast. I think you should be apologizing for it. But you know, at times things are going to happen. Um, it, it could be an emotional game on both sides of the reporting side, and and yeah. obviously players and and management people, coaches are in the middle of competition, and, and things get said. Um, you know, but but I think over time, if you've been around long enough, you're, you're going to have a situation 
I think it's best to, to apologize if you feel you've done something wrong or if you, you look back on something and have regret. And I'll, I'll give Edwards credit that, that you know, that was the least he could do. And let's hope it's, it's buried between those two from now on. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen to you and I at some point, Julia. We're, oh, we're yeah? pretty young into this thing. I think at some point, maybe more so me, because I shoot from the hip. I'll say something <laughs> pretty dumb, and I'll have to answer <laughs> to it. Uh, CJ, before we do let you go, if I'm not mistaken, if my math is correct, did you not have a big milestone this week? My man, you're you're my biggest supporter, I feel like. Uh, I, I did pass 1,000 days uh, on my run streak. Wow. Let's Congratulations, go. CJ. Did you celebrate, celebrate? Any celebrations? You have a nice bottle of wine, a nice cold <laughs> beer? Would, any celebrations? Do you know how I celebrated? I woke up the next day and ran for 1,000 in first day. So That's I the just, way to do it. it. Nice. Yeah, nothing, Very nothing nice. Crazy, but it's, you know, it's Friday and I'm not at the game tonight, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a glass of wine while I'm watching it. Nice. Yeah, you deserve it, buddy. You deserve it. Appreciate the chat, as always. We'll catch up with you next week. All right. Look forward to it. Have a great weekend. You as well. There he goes. Chris Johnson, our marathon man, our TSN hockey insider. What a guy. A thousand days. Holy.